You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. My guest today has made millions of dollars as a copywriter and even more money for offer owners. He now helps other copywriters and offer owners make tons of money and has lived in more countries than you can count. If you'd like to live the digital nomad lifestyle, make money online, and perhaps even seven figures as an online marketer, then I highly recommend you watch my conversation with Trevor Toecracker Crook. Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today I have Trevor Toecracker Crook, and we will discuss what that name means and, and the nickname. But I want to tell you a little bit about Trevor because he's a very interesting uh, character in the direct response space. So Trevor is a business mentor. He's a direct response copywriter and a consultant for high level seven, eight figure offer owners. He's also a public speaker. He is physically in Panama, but he's originally Australian. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how he lives this beautiful, lavish international lifestyle. Um, and Trevor also hosts an annual event called Beers, Bourbon and Business. And it does, it, it's a cool name. And that's actually how I got to know Trevor because I saw that and I was like, that sounds like a really cool event just called Be Beers, Bourbon and Business. Sounds like you're just chilling with some friends. So we'll get to that as well. So welcome, uh, Trevor. Thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you, Maria. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So uh, we're going to dive right into it. I, you, you know, you have a wealth of experience, you know, over 20 years of experience in direct response. But before you were there, you left uh, a very lucrative career, from what I understand, in banking to become a direct response copywriter before it became cool. Um, because I know becoming a copywriter became cool uh, right around the pandemic. But you started this in 2001. So how'd you get how'd you get to this place? And why did you leave that banking career? Interesting question. So, I mean, I joined uh, my first bank at 16, although it was my, was my third job, and uh, leaving the school at 14 years and eight months. And I worked my way up into eventually into the loans department and management. And I learned a lot from that, pulling businesses apart, putting them back together. And then I changed to a different bank in 1993 and learn a, a truckload more there. So over those 15 years of those two banks, I then decided to be a commercial finance broker, brokering deals between the banks or renegotiating with the client's own bank, which is a lot of fun. But when I changed, when I left paid employment and I was on very lucrative, you know, packages and they kept begging me to come back for about the first year after I quit, what I, what I, Decided right then when I resigned from the banking, I told my then wife that I don't know if I'll do this for the rest of my life. I don't know what I want to do, but when I find out, I'll find out. And in 2000, uh, I was reading my Sunday newspaper, having my coffee, and I saw this advert, which I now know is a lead generation advert offering a free report, which I know is a sales letter now. Right. So I rang up, got the free report. And I invested in that initial package and I'd always had an interest in marketing, even in my banking days. So that's really what started the, the progression. And then in 2001, the same guy who I bought the package from was offering non-exclusive resale rights to all of Dan Kennedy's products, including his books at the time, for $25,000. 
And I didn't have that money after divorce number one. <laughs> but he did take Amex. So I was like, okay. all right, ding, all right, I got 30 days to pay this off. And then I, I took a uh, trade booth at a business and franchising expo, which happened to be a couple of weeks after I'd invested the 25K. And that's really what got me into the copywriting. And I picked up my first ever copywriting client from that trade show, but I'd never written copy for a client, yet I was able to charge him 10000 Australian dollars back in 2001 for my first ever paying client. Wow. You know, which is so you, you you charge your first client ten thousand Australian, which uh, for our American friends is about twenty percent, depending on what time of year and and what year it is, a less. But that you know that's around eight k, for example, US. Uh, and you charge that for your first client in two thousand and one. That's that's impressive. Right. So that that kind of shows that you mean business, right? Like, I mean, usually most people get gigs for like if they're lucky a thousand bucks for the first time, and that's now. Correct. Yeah, and what was interesting was that, um, you know, that letter went on, this is an old figure, like eight years later, he gave me an updated figure that that letter that I'd helped, that I'd written had helped him sell over 4,000 units of a $3,500 product. Oh, wow. Okay. So you should have, you should have charged the commission on that, but you know. Uh... I should have. I was a bit naive back then. But of course, he hired me for other work and he's since passed on now. But, you know. It was very, it's very hard when you get that fee the first time to then go back or yes. do something less. And, you know, I just did one thing that I was so used to doing in my banking career, whether I was approving the loan myself within my own discretion or it was going up the line. I just did a proposal. I sent him <laughs> a proposal, you know, and I still use that today. And, you know, that helps me. And helps my clients that I've that I've trained close the bigger projects by following something that I've been doing literally for at least twenty years in the copywriting game. Okay, so I mean, how did you? A two part question: How did you um, kind of learn the craft? I guess, and now obviously you're mentoring people in there. So uh, maybe a couple of tips on or tell us how you mentor uh people in I'm, I'm assuming it's copywriting specific right that you're mentoring people uh, new copywriters uh yes and no okay, okay. That in a moment so yeah. obviously when you know the the first client accepts um it's like oh geez i'm in trouble here because <laughs> i haven't done this but with the package I got from Dan Kennedy, or I'm under the the resale rights, there's a whole bunch of his sales letters there, which I had rights to use and usage rights of his testimonies, which also helped close that first client, right? And so I just literally spent as many hours as I could without getting uh, divorce number two happening to just reverse engineer sales letters. Okay. Right. And look at it and go, well, yeah, okay, I can I can swap that out and do something for him. And he was in the stock market industry. Uh, he was actually, uh, he was the Australian guy on the secret movie. Oh, um, okay, was, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that letter helped him a lot. Um, but that's what I did. I just looked at stuff and I was like, okay, I get it. And that's a variable to sell that product. This client's got a different variable. And then I just need to transpose it and gave it a gave it a shake and fortunately it it worked um now back then you know 
there was no access to a, a Dan Kennedy director or John Carlton or all these names that people know that they could just be friends with on Facebook now and, you know, have a conversation going. Yeah. Um, it was really, really old school. And so for the first, well, the first few years, all I did was offline direct mail. Okay. Running small lead generation adverts, driving them into a toll-free recorded message, sending out the free report, putting them into a three-step direct mail sequence and selling a lot of front-end products at $1,000 or, you know, 997 and then getting the higher-paying copywriting gigs on the back end. So it seems like you had pretty much a swipe file uh, of, you know, th the best stuff. And, you know, whatever worked back then still works, you know what I mean? And swipe files now are kind of making a comeback because I, I, I'm, I'm starting to hear a lot of people saying, you know, here's my swipe file, here's my swipe file. And, you know, uh, I guess you you took that to heart and, and that's how, how it all began. So uh, right now when you're mentoring, you mentioned that you mentor different types of people. I know that you obviously mentor some copywriters, but who else do you mentor? Do you mentor off? For owners as well? Yes, because of the, the business banking background and then the brokerage days, um, copywriters is one element. And then I mentor business owners, whether they're doing, you know, high six, seven, eight figures um, to get their offers right and just, you know, spot the things that they can't see, the financial leaks in the business, whether it's, a, you know, the offers week, we've got to shore that up underutilized assets or trash bin assets as Travis Sago calls them, where they they might have a direct mail list, but they're not they're not mailing them, you know, or they have an email list and not mailing them often enough. So I'll look at those and go, this is where your financial leaks are and how do we fix it? So right now I'm uh, acting sort of quasi CMO for a client. Yeah. He's doing, you know, substantial seven figures in his own business. And then he also does, you know, very good numbers mentoring effectively competitors you okay. know so i'm just on board to go well yeah there's a problem um the call to action's weak we need to get an email deliverability uh specialist in to do a report and that type of stuff so i enjoy the business mentoring client side of it more than straight copywriters um but there's something i'm working on right now to where i can help more copywriters at the same time because i really don't like to be doing too much one-to-one -one. yeah and and i mean you know obviously the, the the elephant in the room is ai and that's what a lot of people are you know kind of copywriters are starting so, some are freaking out some are embracing some are you know there's opinions left and right on that but um you know learning new skills like you're saying like cmo type things where you're looking at like processes and things that can be improved on a marketing level can make you more indispensable uh than just being a copywriter not that there's anything wrong being a copywriter but uh you know obviously you have to be on the uh, on the leading edge of copywriting in order to get work now because you can easily be replaced by a machine if you're not that great. So uh, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts? You know, you, you're you're all you're involved in different aspects of of marketing, but what are your thoughts specifically on AI writing and what it's going to do to the copywriting world? You're the you're the first person I've actually even bothered to make a comment about it. I want to say bothered is because there's, there's so many posts on Facebook and all these, you know, gurus coming out with their AI courses and blah, 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 and fear-mongering. And I just sit back and I watch and I laugh. It's definitely got a place. Uh, but because I don't specifically write for clients anymore, haven't for a lot of years, I don't even look at it. 
I'm aware yeah. of it. But what's interesting, a friend of mine is very big in the SEO space. Um, he's had access to chat uh, GTP3 for well over a year before it even got launched. I mean, he, he's just so far ahead of the curve, right? So I, I'm, I'm familiar with what he's talking about. I think there's definitely a, a place for it, but you're right. You can't just offer copywriting services. Uh, you, To me, you'll be dead in the water with or without AI, because what I found over the years uh, is a lot of copywriters just, they learn copy, but they don't know how to sell themselves, yet they're a copywriter trying to sell their services to a client, Yeah, right? Have that sort of baby bird syndrome, you know, feed me, feed me, mouth open, instead of actually going out there and looking under, you know, whatever rocks they need to look under to get their ideal client. So I think AI has definitely got a place to speed up the process and research, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the newer generation of copywriters, and as you said, if they're not that good, they might be uh, left for dead. You've got to package up, become more of a, a specialist, and nobody wants to straight copy, right? They want someone yeah. who can go, well, actually, your offer's weak, so unless I improve the offer, the copy's not going to work. Yeah. Right? And look at other things that, that might be a problem. You know, a call I just had with a client literally um, an hour or so ago, He's um, an old client who did my outrageous office training and he's working with somebody and he's in that executive space, you know, he does leadership training for executives and CEOs, et cetera. And the offer that he's got with somebody else is not quite dialed in. You know, they're getting a lot of open rates, but crickets for the rest of it, like 70% open rates, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, and wow. I, I mean, I gave him three three things on that call that might solve the problem that they just hadn't thought of. So, you know, someone has been around for a long time, like myself, you know, like I'm a dinosaur to many people in the direct response, and I'm okay with that, is that we've got the experience and I've got the business experience as well in running my own businesses and pulling apart at least 10,000 business owners during my banking time to know I can add and always have been able to add a lot more value to a client than just straight copywriting services, copywriting fees. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, people who look at it in the sense of like, oh, I'm a copywriter, I'm going to be obliterated by AI, are people who don't involve in, evolve in their careers, right? Like, I mean, I started, you know, managing a couple of merchant accounts. If I would have just stuck to that, I don't know how far I would have gotten in my career, right? I had to learn how to open merchant accounts, how to work with different companies, how to work with different jurisdictions. So you, you almost have to kind of step it out and 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 learn more so regardless of any new tools that come in like you can't just do one thing and never evolve it's just never going to get you anywhere else right you you know you can't keep riding the same bike you gotta you gotta get a new one here and there so um i mean i i completely agree with you is that you know regardless with ai is there or not like if you're just going to be a copywriter and you're not going to know how to um help convert a sale. Like for example, a lot of merchants, you know, come, come by uh direct payment and, you know, we talk to them, it's like, they're getting, let's say a hundred people on their checkout page, but only 70 convert. That means 30 people are getting declined. Why are they getting declined? That has nothing to do with your copy, has nothing to do with your, um, your buying traffic. It really has to do with the fact that maybe you have some settings that are incorrect. Maybe on the tech side, there's something going on. Uh, maybe, you know, your, your processors in a different region from your customers. There's a million things that you can do, but you, 
the person who's writing your copy should, or if you're a copywriter, if you're kind of like a full marketing expert, you'll see these things. You'll be able to say, Hey, you know, we're not doing this. And the checkout page doesn't have that. And, and, you know, we need to add this. So, um, you know, I, I guess we agree in the sense of like, you need to evolve as a human being in your career. You can start off as a copywriter and then you know, learn, learn more stuff to make yourself more valuable. I mean, there was a time I think where copywriters were, you know, I work with copywriters as well for our business and it's like writing me an email sequence and sending to me on a doc. What is that going to do for me? I mean, now I have to find somebody to set it all up and check the results and tell me if this is converting like do the whole thing, like here, (laughs) write that email, send it out, tell me how it does come back and tell me we need to do this. I I don't, I don't want to have to set it up because that kind of, you know, turns me off as a business owner. I don't, I don't want to spend my time. That's why I'm hiring somebody. So uh, it's interesting. So, I mean, talking about, you know, your mentoring. So now are you doing more like group mentoring or are you doing still one-on-one? I had been doing group mentoring with a UK business partner in the landscaping niche, actually. We'd, we'd, uh, but we're, we're going our own separate ways amicably. Um, and I'm about to uh, launch more of a group mentoring model. Okay. Uh, the one is very time consuming. And I've got a very big track record in one to one, but it's not the best use of my time. Oh, I'm not, yeah. you know, I don't work Fridays and I want to get back to only two days a week, maybe three. You know, Fridays, you know, today my weekend starts, at, you know, this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we were doing a hybrid version of um, two group calls a month and two one-to-ones as a test in the previous 12 months, what what I found was I was repeating myself a lot of the times in the one-to-ones. It's like I just should just not even be here at hit play. After yeah. I've it. So it's like a, a broken record. And when we adjusted our group mentoring model to, hey, you know, us talking all the time and to like 10 to 15 minutes of, hey, this is the topic this week and then shut up and let them ask questions and then we can help them and other people within the group with various experiences can chime yeah. in, it was a much more cohesive uh, mentoring model. Okay. So, I mean, when, when people are looking for a mentor and you have a wealth of experience and there are a lot of other people in the industry uh, that have a wealth of experience that are willing to, to mentor some people who are getting started. What do you think are a couple of things um, that somebody who's looking for a mentor should look for in their mentor? Meaning if, you know, I'm, you know, let's say junior and I'm looking for a mentor, what would attract me to you versus somebody else? Good question. Uh, in my own case, it's the way I position myself and proof after we get off some sort of initial call. Right On the call, I'm going to share some real-life case study examples of results that other clients have, have gotten, right? And I never, I never give the fees on a call. Okay. And there's two trains of people, you know, a pro and con on that. The reason I don't is this. Uh, I'm not your backyard Bob copywriter or mentor that's going to charge you $1,000 a month. My fees are up there. And I'm not going to spit a figure out to you on a call for you to go, oh, I can't see the value in that. I want to be able to get off the call, look at the notes, 
put everything in a proposal with all the proof elements and the offer so the prospect can make an informed decision either way, yes or no. I'm okay either way. Okay. But I had a call with a lady on Monday and she was referred to me by a former mentoring client in Australia. And she'd posted in a group and a whole bunch of people were tagged. And so we had our call and she goes, I've spoken to five other coaches and it's a very prominent group. She goes, most of them are full of it. She goes, you know, the first person that's actually told it to me straight. And I said, you don't need, you don't need coaching or mentoring. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So wh- why didn't she need coaching? What would make you feel like she didn't need the coaching? Because I said, you don't need... You know, now she was one of the rare occasions where she just pushed me for a figure and I said, here it is for three months. Like, you know, uh, I'm sort of busy with my event. And she's like, okay. Now we got on the call and just based on the conversation, I said, you don't need three months of mentoring for me or anybody. This is what I feel you need. Right? You've got a lot of runs on the board, but you're just not packaging your services in the right way to position yourself to charge a lot more than what you're currently charging. And then I went through and I said, you know, like, and this is a true stat, at least 85% of the copywriters that I've taught my proposal system to double their fees in 90 days. Wow. Uh, I've had consultants who go up up 400% in 90 days and doubled the fees. And that same particular consultant, he's a pain management consultant. um, When I was his actual patient, um, his day rate was 1,500 pounds. Now it's 20,000 pounds. Why? Because I taught him how to position himself correctly. After he finished working with you, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I it at lunch. Like, now that we're done, let me tell you how you're going to increase your fees. <laughs> I, know, I actually told him at lunch on the first day. And okay. uh, I'd gone, I was living in Italy at the time and I'd gone across to uh, Agora Financials UK office because I did a stint as their international copy chief. And so I had this ankle injury. And so at lunch on the first day, I said, um, the only reason I gave you money was because you were highly recommended by somebody else that we both know. I said, but your offer just sucked. <laughs> and I go, I wouldn't have given you money otherwise. And I said, what are you converting at? He said, oh, yeah, 15%. I go, all right, give me some of my money back that I invested with you, and I'm going to teach you my system. Oh, nice. Well, okay, so... In three months, and now we've—I just got an updated details from him because I'm going to present that as a, as a training, and he's just like, "Yeah, it changed my life." So that's why I'm a little bit different. But I'll, I'll call a spade a spade. If I don't think you need my help, I'm going to tell you. Well, that's uh, that's the good sign, and 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 I do that too as well in my career. Is like sometimes people come to us for merchant accounts, and I'm like, "Look, you're just better off using PayPal because it's going to work and it's going to be faster, and you can go with that." And and I always get a dumb, dumbfounded look, like. Did you just tell me? And I was like, well, it just, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. You can still work with me and, you know, we can go through the song and dance of like some paperwork to get you an account, but in the end, you know, your business model is better suited there. So here you go. Uh, so I, I do appreciate that fresh approach myself when I'm talking to somebody, just get, tell, tell it like it is. Um, and, and in terms of getting a mentor at what stage in your career, cause you just mentioned now this person didn't need it, but at what stage in your career would you need a mentor? Uh, I think we all benefit from having a mentor. Okay, right? it's, it's choosing that right one, right? Which we know it's a it's a crapshoot. Yeah, because uh, I mean, right now, I mean, I'm in a men- I'm I have a mentor. Um, my business. Oh, partner. you have a mentor. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's, I mean, we, we invested 50 grand for the year for that mentor. Nice. Right. Um, <laughs> he's not cheap. He's, he, I hope big. he's doubling. I hope he's getting you the same results you're getting for your, your mentees. It's, it's very good, but you know, and he's like, this is not over 12 payments. That's five payments, you know, and, but so worth it. So for me, we can't do it all alone. Uh, there's things that I still don't know. Uh, I don't know everything. And I need to be able to bounce off and ask questions and get feedback. Uh, what's more important is that if you're in some sort of mastermind group mentoring role, that um, you don't allow what I call any pelicans in there, right? You get the wrong people in there, you can damage the group. For sure. And there's different people at different levels in that same mentoring sort of mastermind group that all have different experiences. So I think if you're looking to grow your business, whether it's increased sales, higher fees, work less, you know, make more type stuff, you want to look to someone who's already doing what you want to be doing. Okay. But wow. you, do you find those are hard, hard to spot? Like, sorry to kind of interject there, but there's a lot of people and, you know, a lot of people find mentors off social media platforms, you know, through groups and stuff like that. And, you know, there's always the ones that are, you know, uh, living the life, but, you know, sometimes it's a load of crap um, and it's not really what it seems. And after you give somebody 10 grand and then you get a couple of uh, an hour or so of their time, you're like this, this person doesn't know what the hell they're talking about right so how do you spot those um those kind of bad actors i guess in the space good question it's it's not easy to spot from my perspective you know i've had and you're right about the social media stuff i get tagged quite a bit um from former mentoring students why because they get the results yeah uh, they're not just they're not just doubling their fees they're you know some of them are ridiculously increasing their fees, doing less projects, but making more money. And so they're your walking endorsement. Um, an interesting one was uh, a lady by the name of Pauline Longdon who came into my world in 2012 after attending an event in Australia that my former mentor and good friend, Ted Nicholas, who since passed on, very old school direct response a copywriter, was speaking and she bought his recordings of his last copywriting event in 2011. I was one of the speakers, myself, Matt Fury, Bob Bly, and Ted. And she goes, this is the guy I want. I need to be mentored by based on the experience, the directness, the no fluff, no BS, and living the lifestyle that I could back up. I don't, yeah, I like to stay in nice hotels and I like to fly business class, et cetera, but I don't care about the bling anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The that's why stuff. that's why the the good ones sometimes are harder to spot because we're you know uh people you know it's funny sometimes people will offer me services and be like hey i'll do this for free and i'm like no no, no you're costing me money because i have to talk to you and like it's not you know sometimes people don't realize that like somebody who's busy and who, who who's running a business who's doing a million things if even if you're offering your services for free that that is not 
Like that does not attract me <laughs> telling me that you're going to give me free articles or free emails or free that that doesn't attract me. Cause that means I have to kind of coach you in how all this stuff works. And that, that actually almost turns me off to be honest, uh, more than, than, than attracts me to a specific candidate. Um, I'm going to shift course. Cause I have a couple of very interesting questions for you. And I want to get a little bit into your experience because you have a lot of marketing experience and tools and tips. So I'm wondering like, if we kind of switch gears and talk about offer owners, um, and you do obviously mentor them and you look at a lot of funnels and so forth, what are, you know, kind of couple of common mistakes that, you know, you said sometimes you want to just press record because it's the same thing that kind of comes up over and over. What are those couple of things that you're like, man, everybody needs to be doing this and half the people don't? Yeah. Another good question. Well, you know, you can have an amazing piece of copy that gets the person right to the offer, Right. And the business owner thinks, uh, you know, in terms of hamburgers, this is the biggest, juiciest hamburger, you know, you could ever eat. Yet they left off the meat patty. Right? They're giving you lettuce on a bun. Now, there were certain people who were like that, myself not. Yeah. But, you know, their offer's weak. So you've got to, when I mentor anybody, when I'm writing copy. Now, I don't write copy as such. I take projects on and feed into my writers and oversee it. i got to look at the offer first. I've got to, in my mind, be 100% satisfied that that offer is the strongest offer it can be to be able to get their client results. And if that means me reworking the offer, coming up with suggestions to, to strengthen it up, like make the foundation of the offer stronger, then that's exactly what I do. I've always done that. Whereas a lot of copywriters just take the client's offer and that's it. Yeah. The offer is where a lot of the problems are, let alone, you know, the headlines generally buried somewhere in that in that funnel sales copy. So essentially you're saying most people or most, you know, offer owners um need to go back to the basics and look at their offer. Really like the 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 bells and whistles of how the offer is structured. Yes. And also to understanding where your, you know, where your clients are coming from or who's already got your clients before you. So one of my old, uh, one of my old clients um, is in the pest, was in the pest control business um, with a partner in Florida. And I was mentoring him a little bit. And I said, well, where do you get your, they were doing typical, you know, lead generation, direct response ads, et cetera, et cetera, which, which were good. But I said, where are you getting your referrals from? Other contractors. And I was like, all right, well, how about we run a competition where whichever contractor refers you the most business over a set period, you're going to give them a new, a new truck for their business. Oh, wow. Right. Now, my guy's business partner, literally, I'll give you the polite version, had kittens over that idea. Thought I was the biggest idiot in the world. And I said, humor me, look at your numbers. And this is a big thing. The numbers don't lie. Leads, conversions, whatever. The numbers don't. I said, look at your own numbers. Right? What's, I think, like, at the time, what it was going to cost them, 17, 18,000 new or 350 a month as a rough example of that. It's a lease away. So they eventually put their big boy pants on and tested the offer. And they did a hundred thousand net on that project after expenses and buying the truck. Oh wow! 
right? That's the sort of stuff that I do. And I actually like it more for, you know, B2C customers. Yeah. Uh, you can smash their business really, really quickly when you present them in a different way. So most people, okay, let, let's talk the, the bis, business to consumer market. They're doing, they go and do a quote. They're, a, they're in the heat, heating insulation business. So they're running ads like everybody else, competing on price. Homeowner, you know, typically gets three people out for a quote, whether it's a roofer, a landscaper, doesn't really matter. Yeah. And so they they think they've got to compete on price. And I'm like, no, you don't. You're no longer doing quotes. You're going to do this. So I've got a live example for you for a, an actual heating and insulation old client from, from Ireland. Well, he was doing just that, full double-page adverts in the newspaper, business name at the top, typical mistake. <laughs> You know, a third of the page of pictures of his fleet because he thought, you know, bigger is better type stuff. And I said, look, I want you to tell me from the moment you get to that prospect's door and they open up what you do. Leave nothing out. And so he just rattling, rattling it off like, yeah, everyone does this. And he said one thing. And I said, stop, rewind. And you repeat that, I want to dig a little bit more. And he rattled off again and wanted to keep talking. So I was like, just shut up right <laughs> there. This is the angle. This is the goal. This is your this is your hook to never ever compete on price again. So what he told me was that every single home he goes into, there's a, at least nine areas where the heat escapes from, which does what? House is colder. Increase heating, increase bills. Yeah. Says, yeah, but everyone knows that. I go, no, the competition knows that. Your prospects don't. I said, so no longer are you going to do a quote. You're going to do a heat leakage and inspection report valued at 197 euros. All right. Wow. And change your quote form to look like that report. All right. And so, and I've done that in so many different industries, right? Where I've just looked at how they present themselves. Even the landscaping clients that um, that I've been dealing with, come up with them for a, a garden a garden assessment report. Worked out exactly what they do every time they go and see somebody. Put it into a massively long sort of triplicate NCR form, and they go out and they sell that for two hundred ninety seven pounds. And one of the businesses that initially tested that in the first 85 letters, they pulled in about 290,000 in gross business. Wow. I mean, you know, the thing is that what I'm getting from you is that, you know, if you just kind of look at your business very granularly in, in terms of what you're doing, you could probably find something that makes you a little bit different or that you can present. You know, I I take a lot of things for granted in my business. I'm like, oh, people know this. People know this. And and oftentimes when I'm talking to a prospect and I say something very simple, like, oh, you know, these types of declines, you can do this with them and you'll convert like five, 10 percent of them. They're like, what? Oh my God, that's crazy. And I'm like, oh, I, I it kind of kind of comes second nature. So it's interesting to have somebody almost kind of take a look at this and and walk through it, almost make create it like an SOP kind of of what you do and find something in there um that you know most people don't know. So that's 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 a really interesting um kind of glass to look through your business, right? Just kind of look at it from the uh, 
And you, you, the thing is, though, I feel like this is something that you would need somebody like you or somebody else that's not kind of in the day to day or, you know, like I've been doing what I do for 15 years. Um, I'm probably going to miss a couple of steps. I create SOPs for my for my my team. And sometimes I, I like I skip half the process. I'm like, oh, they already know that they, they, they don't need to do that. You know, so so that that's something that's, you know, something that a lot of marketers or people who are in involved in their business kind of forget is sometimes look at the basics. But even in small businesses, like you're saying, there's opportunity to kind of create so much growth with very little change to what you're doing. It doesn't cost a lot of money. So um, that's interesting. Do you, do you use any, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch a little bit on the tech side, because I'm curious to know, like, are there tools? Because there's a lot of things like, email lists and CRMs and shopping cards. And like, do you have like a a specific tech stack that you like for direct response businesses specifically something that kind of is helpful or any tools that you find useful? Um, Email, obviously, from my perspective, Um, you know, if, if someone has an email list, big or small, you know, the first thing I want them to do is, is hire some sort of at least pay and invest for someone to do an email deliverability report. Okay. See what's good and what's not. And um, you know, I'm I'm still very old school. So I like to get my clients to do direct mail as well because hmm. rarely is anybody doing it. And you can just clean up when you know how to do it correctly. Right. So I like the combination of that. And then social media. I mean, make sure you're you're really, you're active on your social media. Um, And I I learned this from somebody's uh, software that I invested in, Pepper Infinity, um, where I changed my, the story on my profile picture, which is just a snapshot of my, of my history. But the, the responses I got from that. So when someone clicks on, they're going to click the profile pitch and they see all this stuff. They're going to decide whether they want to be in my world. And at some point, you know, maybe, you know, doing business with me, joint ventures, whatever. Right. So it's it's how you do your social media presence. I've seen um, so many people that struggle for work yeah, but they're constant clowns on Facebook and they wonder why then no one takes them serious. Yeah. Uh, or they're just not doing anything. They're not showcasing what they're about. Um, the, the pain management um, old client of mine, he was like a lot of people. There was just nothing on his personal profile that said what he did. And that's oh. like start showcasing what you're doing. Do, do yeah. case studies. You know, there's a lot of people out there with, injuries and about surgery surgery that you can fix them anywhere in the world and he can so you know this was a few years ago but now i mean he posts his case studies he gets a lot of business his fees go up he's doing things so to me it's a combination of that social media presence using your email and then looking at some of the old school direct response stuff i mean you can send postcards really really effectively and have a qr code on something in which they click the qr you know scan the qr code and go to some sort of opt-in page what do you think gives you the biggest bang for your buck like if i'm if i'm kind of starting out and obviously i don't i don't know much about uh you know what's going to convert best like what would i test first would i test an email list first like maybe buy 
you know, a small email list off somebody or so. I don't know if people do that still. I shouldn't say that, but uh, illegally, of course, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to ruffle any feathers, but you know, what would be my first kind of foray into getting uh, customers? Like the, the thing that you see always pays the most. That's a really, really good question. Um, people still do buy lists. And obviously if you can purchase a, an email list legitimately, Right, then you need to warn them up, obviously. But the the good thing about that email list that's legit of the ideal prospects that you want to be targeting, then you can upload it into Facebook for a lookalike audience. Mm-hmm. Start to run some traffic; doesn't have to be a lot of money per day. And also, other you know, what Facebook groups are already out there, which have your ideal customers in there i don't don't mean go in there and spam you'll get kicked out very very quickly yeah if you go in and add value people are going to reach out to you and then it's all about the relationship most people want to go from you know first date to marriage right away doesn't happen that that usually doesn't work out i mean when you're drunk but you know (laughs) just my whole thing for me and i got asked this question uh, in 2018, I was visiting Malaysia. From I used to live in Malaysia as a child, so I went to see Brian Casangina, who was a senior copywriter at Mind Valley at the time. Uh, from Penang, went to KL, and he's like, "Can you do an impromptu talk to our people?" I was like, "Yeah, it's tomorrow. It's really going to be a handful of people." I go, "That's fine." And this one lady, she said, "What do you think is your biggest secret to your success?" And I go, "Simple. It's relationships. That's it." Right, you got to build relationships, and even uh, in my own case, I was in a somebody else's group back in six two thousand sixteen, maybe two thousand seventeen, and so was somebody else in sort of the, the coaching, sort of mentoring world. But he was in the fitness fitness space. Anyway, he dropped value posts. I dropped value posts. No call to actions. Nothing. And then we connected because we liked each other's. You know, I was like, wow, you, you really know some stuff. He was looking for an article on lifetime value to be able to use and give credit. I go, here you go, got one. From doing that, I generated at least six figures from that guy. Oh, wow. Through his his clients and speaking at his masterminds and stuff like that, let alone him then hiring me to write copy for him. But it came down to being in a group where there was seriously potential clients that I would, would like to help. And I just added value. That's it. Do you find that it's easy to find, like, you know, uh, post 2020, like there's a lot of things happening online and people connecting online. Do you think, do you feel like you can get a good connection with somebody on an online platform or do you still think old school, like you got to go to events, you got to, you know, meet people face to face and kind of connect with them personally? Uh, it's a combination. I think you get the obviously the better effect at live in person events. I mean, that's you know, I started going to live events in 2004. You know, investing the money and the event, the airfares, you name it. But that's really what led me to my speaking gigs in Australia in 2004, and then my international speaking gig started in 2005 by being at live events. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned the Beers, Bourbon of Business before. That group name came about from the amount of people I'd connected with virtually through Facebook, et cetera, because I really don't use LinkedIn much, et cetera, um, saying to me, hey, 
I'd love to meet you in person one day at an event and have a beer with Toe Cracker. <laughs> I was like, sounds good to me. And then when I was looking at the group name, I don't do bourbon, more wine, but like beer, wine and business doesn't quite go together. <laughs> like beers, bourbon and business. And, you know, but that came about from that. So it's what I really like is when I've had a virtual connection with somebody um, to then meet them in person. It just makes that relationship stronger in my view. Yeah, I agree. I mean, going to events is, uh, you know, for me, that's how my career started, you know, just going to events, meeting people, introducing, but it can be daunting. Like, you know, if you're, if you're not like a, a, I, I call myself an introvert extrovert. I am very extroverted, but I also like kind of to be on my own. So sometimes I get like a little bit when I'm at these events, I kind of don't feel like talking anymore. And I just get to a point where thankfully I have a good network of people around me that I can just be like, hey, so and so, let's just go have a coffee and be quiet. All right. <laughs> so, you know, like at least you get a little bit of that. But yeah, I do get a lot of value myself for meeting people. I try to get out to events once or twice a year. It's hard sometimes because of life. Um, but yeah, you know, meeting people online, I think after, you know, the whole COVID thing and there was a lot of groups, there's still a lot of opportunity there. Uh, but then if you can try to find one or two events, which which has a lot of people there um, that you, you can connect with, it's interesting. So I am going to talk about your event because I am curious. So you told us how the, the name came out. And I just think it's it sounds like a very chill event where we're, people are just going to be talking about who who should go to this type of event. Like first, it's it's in Europe, right? It's in Poland. It's in Europe. Yeah, it's in Poland. And, you know, people's like, oh, what happens if Russia goes? It's like uh, my events up here near Germany and uh, Ukraine's <laughs> dead. But uh, I used to live in Poland. That's why I have okay. it. There and my I get to see my Polish goddaughter at the same time. Is just turned six, <laughs> but it's a great country for one, and it's very economical to have an event and really put on big VIP parties with open bars for eight hours and free flowing food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, look, I go to events to learn if I the old if I can learn learn one thing, great. But I'm really going for the connections. Yeah. All right. Uh, and your connections are going to teach you something. Every time I have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with somebody about their business, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you can do that. I did. and, and sometimes I find at a live event where there's a speaker, you zone out and you're not really listening to everything. So the one-on-one -on -one conversations are what kind of gets you to the different types of knowledge, different types of connections. So um, are, are you are you um, kind of looking, who, who's coming to this event? What type of people are coming I've, to it? I've got a good mix um, of some copywriters doing you know pretty good numbers because the event's not cheap it's four thousand a person for vip or three thousand for, for general entry so they've got a fly to go there um and i've got business owners i've got financial advisors i've got a couple of companies doing actually three or four actually doing you know seven figures um one that's doing eight and probably will crack nine this year wow um you know in, in a certain niche which which shall remain nameless right now. <laughs> but, you know, it's a very good mix. There's a good mix of people who are at the first event I did a few years ago for Drayton Bird's 83rd birthday, and Corona has delayed this a few years. But yeah. really, it's for people who who really, the whole theme of this is market domination. You know, how do you dominate your market? Right? And so there's such as various speakers on a whole bunch of subjects to be able to provide enough value then if people want to invest in their offer they do okay. but 
it's very specific at my events to the speakers. It's, this isn't a blatant pitch fest. You have to deliver content, right? And your offer at the end, keep it short. Yeah. You know, I mean, start, let people know what you do, but don't don't make that the premise, right, of what you're you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And here's what was interesting from the previous event. So in terms of the networking, so there was definitely a few introverts there. And one of them was a client of mine um, that I was mentoring and at one of the parties. And I was like, well, you two should talk. And he's like, why? I said, well, you buy traffic right now and he's a boutique ad agency. Uh, and he's got experience in that niche, at, you know, nine figures. So you should talk. And then there was a copywriter. I said, well, you should, same guy, you should talk. Right. And his, his own words, I would never have hired either of those had I not met them in person. Oh, nice. Right. And that happened quite a lot. Three of the speakers from my event a few years ago are now speaking at the event. So sorry, three of the attendees from the previous event are now speaking at this event, right? Yeah. And there was a couple there that had come and one one of the guys is now speaking. This was the day after the event. We're having beers, um, the couple and I, and I was like, well, tell me really what you guys are doing. And they mentioned, I go, well, you need to talk to this guy. And I said, why? I said, because he's got exactly what you want. Right? All of a sudden, 25K deal done between the two of them. Right. So you're the super connector, Trevor. I think if anybody comes to the event, they should just talk to you for a couple of minutes and you're you're zipping around and connecting people. But that's that's the that's the beauty of a network, right? That's the beauty of knowing a lot of people. And you know, I try to do this myself. If I know I can connect two people that are gonna get value, what does it cost me to make an email intro or or introduce somebody to somebody? You know, right? It's that's that's the beauty of having a nice wide network and your wealth of experience all these years of internationally and I, I i am very curious now so why toe cracker where where does that come from your nickname that's your nickname right is is do you want to be called trevor do you want to be called toe cracker uh if it wasn't such a pain to change everything legally i would yeah. just change my entire name from trevor toe cracker talk to toe cracker and be done okay <laughs> okay so why 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 is that your nickname how did that come about yeah, so when I remember I said I bought that package in 2000, this market, I bought this marketing box of stuff from the US. It was, you know, copy stuff and, you know, marketing stuff from the, the greats as we would know them. And so I was in my, still doing my broke commercial finance brokerage. I'd picked up a few sort of clients that I was consulting to as well. So as I'm absorbing this marketing material, um, I start to work with this company doing substantial eight figures and the parent company doing more doing nine. But the subsidiary company that I was dealing with, whilst they were grossing a lot, they didn't have much left because the parent company was siphoning the profits. They had a $900,000 hardcore overdraft, you know, like a $900,000 credit card with wow. no fluctuation, no working capital. Constantly in the red at bank, 900000 and so I just told them a few home truths about their juvenile ways of doing business. I didn't mince my words. And I was actually a client of their of their or customer of their product. And I don't know which person I read this from in one of these marketing books. I was like, hey, by the way, if you increase your prices 10% overnight and stop, you know, your juvenile ways, you're going to solve your cash flow problems. And I wasn't able to get them finance to refinance, you know, so it was just they were too two in the red for any bank to, to take them on board. And they listened. 
And a year later, just as I'm getting into the copywriting game, I get this unsolicited full-page letter from the from the managing director of that company. He's like basically saying, "Hey, thanks to pointing out pointing out the juvenile ways we do our business. You know, Monday is no longer a chore. Thanks to your toe cracker style, we solved our cash flow problem." <laughs> so I'm like, eh, "Chris, do tell." Build the means. <laughs> And he said, yeah, we, we took on board what you said. We increased our prices 10%. You're right. Most of our customers stayed, stayed with us. But we went from 900000 in the red each day, basically, to three quarters of a million cash in the bank in 12 months. Wow. 1.65 mil turnaround and really a seven-second marketing tip, which I didn't come up with. But I knew when to apply it for that particular business. Yeah. And that was it. And I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, everything I've listened to on these cassettes of Kennedy's is, is create your own voice. Right? I don't want to be like Dan Kennedy. I, I resonate with him, but I want to be me. I want to create my own voice, which I think a lot of people make that mistake, especially in copyright. Oh, they want to be like this person or that name. No, no, be yourself, learn from them, resonate with them, but just be yourself, create your own voice. So, so I did that from the beginning and I've just stuck with it. Um, and then in 2009, I managed to see these shoes staggering home drunk from, in Vancouver one night <laughs> that had these they were snakeskin with chrome metal tips on them, like sharp. You could literally <laughs> take someone's head off if you that way inclined. And the next day, I was actually going to an event in um, Adla- uh, Atlanta for Mark Joyner's uh, birthday bash that Matt Basak was putting on. I was like, when I get back to Vancouver, I've got to retrace my steps and find those shoes. And so I did, but a lot of people see the shoes and they go, well, that's the nickname. It's like, no, the shoes came eight, eight to nine years later, you know, but they're sort of all part of the branding. Okay. Uh, but yeah, wow. I just, you know, people that hire me or like they'll bought a course off me and they get some sort of critique, they'll just go, hey, here it is. I'm ready for the toe cracking. They've already braced themselves for <laughs> me to tell them like it is. Yeah. I'm curious, just, you know, I, I know you, you, you've you talked a little bit about your lifestyle and so forth. You've lived in Poland, you've lived in Australia, Vancouver, you talked about, you're in Panama. How how does one live this beautiful life internationally? Um, you know, if you can give us a couple of tips and, and what got you into kind of vagabonding around the world? Yes. Well, this, you know, the international lifestyle literally happened April 2006 officially, long before the term digital nomad was ever thought of. And I do not relate to being, I'm not a digital nomad person, by the way. But prior to that, I had done 10 trips from Australia and three to London to speak at events in 11 months. Zip, 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 zip back and forth that's a journey that's a long journey yeah. and especially to a, the jet lag every time and sometimes you're just getting over jet lag and you're back on a plane so I was like you know what and all my business was about 90 percent offline then not okay. on about 10, offline 10%. okay uh, at about 10 percent online I, you know i only started my first email list in 2004 wow so i was like all right well i've got to take an income hit but for me to be i had the travel bug it's like, you know what? I can work from anywhere. I can write copy. I can mentor clients. I just need to get my income pretty much all online. So I did that. And that just allowed me to be able to go, you know what? Um, yeah, I got to do a visa run. So I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go there. 
Um, and that's really where it stemmed from. How do you choose your locations? What's what kind of attracts you to different places? Yeah, well, of course, when you first leave Australia, you've got to go and live in Hollywood, as I did, you know. <laughs> that, you know, lasted about six months. But um, so take Italy. I always had a love affair with Italy because I grew up with Italians, you know, literally my parents, they knew my parents before I was born, and they moved back to Italy in 1974, but we always kept in contact, the old pen pal ways. And so you know, lived here, lived there, and I went to visit them, you know, for the first time in 2007, lived with them a little bit. And then um, my first one-to-one copywriting mentoring client, who I did face-to-face, yeah. was an American guy from Texas living in Italy near Bologna. Oh, nice. And him and his wife flew to Denver, Colorado, where I was living at the time, for the training. And we got on very well. And he's like, hey, if you ever want to come and live in Italy, we live on a we have an Arabian horse farm and you got room, come and stay. Sounds like a good deal. Where what's his number? I'll call him. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, careful what you wish for. And three months later, I'm living on I'm living on the farm just outside of Ferrara near Bologna. And then after a while, I was like, uh, it's a bit cold here. Although I, I was like, all right, I lived in Toronto for a little while, but I want to check out Vancouver, which I'd visited in 2004 for the first time. I look on Craigslist, find a place, rent the room. And I really loved Vancouver. I was there around 16 months when I decided to go and live in Malta in the Mediterranean. Because from literally when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, uh, and visit my grandfather's farm. He had a dairy farm at the time in Australia. There was this Maltese family that would always rent his holiday shacks and they would come and get milk and eggs. And I'm like, yeah, Maltese is a real little speck in the Mediterranean. You should check it out sometime. It always stuck with stuck with me. Uh, and in early 2010, I got invited to speak at three events in two days, Vegas, San Diego, London for the Social Media Millionaire Summit, which was on over two four-day weekends. I was like, right, roommate, I'm giving you notice. Uh, I'm going to live in Malta. She's like, what if you don't like it? I go, plan B is Italy. Either way, life's good. Right, And that was it. I mean, I arranged to view properties in between the events. I flew across from, from London and that was it. Malta and that became, became your hub. I, I mean, that's... That's the interesting thing is that, you know, sometimes there's a, like a connection and so forth. But what I love is obviously the fact that, you know, it's the freedom, right? And if, if you, if you play your cards right, you have that freedom and you have the flexibility of, you know, Hey, I'm going to spend 12 months here and then two years there and so on and so forth. Um, but it, you know, I, I love all the locations be, that you've chosen because they're all, Quite, you know, quite different. Like, I don't know, Italy, Vancouver doesn't really seem like a something like the same person would like both of those. Uh, I definitely I'm Canadian, but I definitely would go Italy more than I would go Vancouver. No offense to my Vancouver fans, but, you know, I, I do love my Canadians. But, you know, Italy just sounds so much more yeah, exotic and fun. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I Italy for sure. And, um, you know, I've lived in Cyprus and Poland and um, some other some other countries. Um, and then in uh, late 2012, I'm back at Malta and my one of my friends from Canada, actually, he'd rented a room off me when I first went to Malta. He was back in, is it, is it Moncton? Oh, uh, Moncton, yeah. My, my, Moncton, New Brunswick. That's, oh, that's cold, 
cold it's second. cold yeah he's like hey hey man i've got to escape this winter here costa rica is good and they have good internet and it's quite stable do you want to do you want to split split the deal on an apartment on the rent and i was like no oh, well, it's you know i've still got a few months to go on my lease here but anyway i did and i just paid the lease up and, and went and that was my first foray into costa rica that was 2013 beginning of february i think it did that but then that became home three to four months a year until 2020. Oh, so wow. Whether it be Tuscany, where I lived for quite some time in between, Poland, I'd go to Costa Rica three or four months and go back. And then a few years ago, I was like, I need to get, I want second residency, which ultimately gets me second passport when I get citizenship. And because I'd written for International Living Magazine back in 2015, I had a couple of control sales letters for them. I knew about Panama and their friendly nations visa and everything like that. So I started to investigate here uh, in 2020, and then you know I got my permanent residency a couple of years ago. So now I have a. I've always had, even though I've lived the international lifestyle bar one time, I've always had a lease somewhere. Okay. I've never just rocked up to an Airbnb for a week or two weeks or a month. That's yeah. not me. And okay. I tried and hated it. I yeah. like to have effectively what's an expensive wardrobe to keep my stuff in when I'm out of the country. <laughs> You know, because that's really what it would be. I would sort of cap my rent in most places at this because I know I'm traveling, I've got hotels, I've got all the rest of it. So yeah. I want to go to Thailand for six weeks. I go to Thailand for six weeks, knowing when I come back, all my stuff's there. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I guess when I was younger, I was vagabonding a little bit around, you know, a month or so here and so forth. But now, um, I do like that kind of stable home. You know what I mean? Like this is where I go and I can spend um, a week somewhere for a travel, a trip or whatever. But I do I do agree that it does get tiresome uh, to just be traveling all over the place all the time, living out of a suitcase. It's not it's not it sounds a lot very lavish. I know a lot of people on social media are like, oh, I'm in here. And then next week I'm there. And then it's, it's exhausting. Like, I mean, honestly, to anybody listening, I did it for, for about a year or so at the beginning of my career. And I was like, I am exhausted. Like I can't, and I was in my twenties then. So I can't even imagine doing it now. I'm like, oh, I just want to go home and take a shower and sleep. <laughs> and that's very it. <laughs> I mean, I've just turned 50. Yeah. I've also got a lot of energy. I mean, you know, it does, it does hit you on the, all that travel and the yeah. waiting in airports and stuff like that. Airports are not fun, not anymore, especially in the last couple of years or, or the last year or so. It's been, it's been a nightmare, at least traveling out of uh, some of the Canadian airports with, you, you need like three hours to be sitting there to take an hour flight. So mm, not my favorite. You, you've given us so much good information and, um, you know, everybody's everybody listening, please make sure you like subscribe and share this episode with anybody who can listen, um, that will find value. And I know Trevor, you have, you know, a very, um, prominent social media page on Facebook and you post a lot and we're going to post some links down below. If you want to check out Trevor's event, uh, and, and all about Trevor. And we'll also post Pauline's episode because as we said, uh, we spoke about Pauline quite a bit and all tiger in here. So, uh, Trevor, it's been a pleasure. I, I mean, you're you're as entertaining as I thought, you know, when I when I first heard you through uh, through our mutual contact, John. Um, and uh, thank you so much for for appearing. And if you know, if you need any of my help, as always, uh, feel free to reach out. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S dot com. 
I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once. 